Hi everybody and welcome to episode 18 of the GA and Gym podcast. We're flying through these episodes pretty well. I thought I would throw up an extra episode for you here. I usually pick them up every two weeks, but you know what, I'm feeling feeling good, so I threw up another one. Um, it was convenient as well, as you'll find out soon enough. Um, so yeah, before we get into the podcast, one thing I want to plug is uh, David Drake, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago. He is Ulster Rugby's athletic performance coach, is running a speed and agility workshop at Black Box on Saturday, February the 22nd. We chatted briefly about it in the podcast and put up a few posts about it. Um, David's a great coach and is obviously up with Ulster and is around a lot of great athletes and a lot of great coaches. Um, I've been to one of his workshops before and I think what's really good about his workshops is that he gives ways of actually uh, putting the, the principles into practice, which a lot of workshops don't. Um, the class is in Black Box, or the workshops are in Black Box up in Belfast. Um, you can go through David's uh, David Drake Coach's Instagram and get tickets for it. And you can use the code Quinn Strength for like 15% off, so you're making money. Um, but, yeah, just want to plug that. So go and check it out if you're a coach or wanting to get yourself faster. Okay, on the podcast today, we have Antrim's uh, physio. Also done a lot of work with Antrim Strength Condition. He has been involved with Newcastle Football Academy's physio and is also very much uh, into strength and condition himself. He's an accredited strength and conditioning coach. He's also strong as fuck. And also he happens to be my brother. So this was a very convenient podcast, but it was also very good when we chat a lot about injury reduction. So I hope you enjoy us. So we have the strong physio, Mark Quinn. Okay, Mark Quinn, strong physio, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Austin, at the house. Yes. <laughs> this convenient or this podcast is nearly more out of convenience than anything. We were both at the house and we thought, sure, why not? We'll do a podcast. To anyone that's listening, I'm wondering what we're talking about here. Mark is a, a physio. Um, he's physio up at Antrim, but he's also my brother and got me into the gym training. So we're always chatting about doing a podcast. So we're here now. Um, so anyone that maybe doesn't know you or hasn't seen your stuff on Instagram, why don't you give a quick bio about yourself? Yeah, so I've been uh, qualified as a physio for. I've been qualified as a physio now for over over ten years, um, but I actually first started out as a as a personal trainer uh, whenever I was working working whilst I was at university. Um, so the the kind of training aspect has always been extremely important. Um, and throughout my years as a physio, I've always worked in private practice. I used to work for what was the uh, the biggest private physio company in the UK, and we treated all sorts of patients there, from you know your everyday uh, individual to your weekend warrior to your elite athlete. So, got a lot of experience there. Was fortunate enough to work with uh, Newcastle United Football Club um, for a few seasons. And uh, since moving home, maybe now two, three years ago, I have started uh, working with the Antrim Senior Herders. So that's currently where a lot of my work takes place uh, at the moment. You were a bit off the track, but I probably never asked you how come you did go down the physio route as opposed to going more down the personal training or strength conditioning route? Uh, it's It's... Probably a good one, actually, for the younger viewers, because I think I remember being in school and looking through the careers textbooks, and I think I always wanted to be involved with sport, you know, and I knew I definitely wasn't good enough to be a, a professional footballer or anything like that. I probably self-awareness, self-awareness knew my limitations, um, but I wanted to be involved, if you know, at, at that kind of high level and work with athletes or work with players. And I remember looking and seeing this physiotherapy career. Now, we always think about physio in uh, sporting terms. In reality, physio is, is actually quite different to that if you work in the hospital. But I was quite interested in the sporting side. So I kind of didn't believe I was probably going to get the grades or didn't think I would have enough um, education ability to become a physio so I kind of started setting up a wee backup plan of I'll go and do my personal training I enjoy that aspect of it I will have that as have that as my backup because probably around 10 years plus ago the strength and conditioning yeah, hadn't yet come to the forefront it was still about PTs and the only thing a strength and conditioning coach was a PT 
who yeah. was doing circuit classes and that's what it involved there wouldn't even have been as many people even going to the gym or training back then either like it's, uh, it's no. incredibly different now we're talking like 15 years ago do you know what yeah. i mean uh, at that point and you're right there just wasn't the same level of interest or even knowledge and understanding around strength yeah. and conditioning it's funny too like whenever you were working in the white horse this is whenever you were starting your training yeah that was like in, in the area we live here that was probably the only gym with a, within a large large area like a yeah. grace Dale where we're at now where i have the gym there was nothing here there really wasn't anywhere in the wee towns beside us so within a massive area there's only one gym and now there's there's, there's loads like you know yeah. within yeah. within that span of time like um so yeah it's interesting when you work at newcastle what did you what did you take from that you know what was it like working the professional setup was it you're obviously involved in instrument stuff now was it much different what was it like there's definitely differences mine's all started out actually whenever i was i, I trained up in jordanstown and um in our third year we got to do what's called an elective placement so you could go away and work somewhere I managed to somehow get uh, the opportunity to go over to Newcastle. I said, obviously, I'd pay my way. I'd, I, I'd cover all my travel expenses, all that kind of stuff, to, to just have that six-week opportunity. Um, I went over there and loved the six weeks. And at the end of that, the, the guy, and it was over with the academy mainly at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the underage structures, but it's right beside the, the, main, the main building. And uh, at the end of that, it went really well. And the guy said, listen, we would love to offer you a, a part-time position um, whenever you finish up uni. So I was, you know, if you can imagine, I was finishing up uni and I was offered a, yeah. a, a job with, uh, Newcastle. with Newcastle United, which was which, which was pretty cool. Um, now, he just said, listen, we don't have anything at the moment, but as soon as something comes up, I'll give you a shout. And sure enough, probably a year later or more, he, he gave me a shout and I moved up to, to Newcastle and continued with that. So I guess in terms of what the differences are, uh, the even the young guys up there at the underage element, they have everything catered for them. You know, they come in, their breakfast, their lunch, their dinner is, is sorted. They have educational needs covered, but a lot of them are there just because they want to play football, and that's mm. how they see their life uh, panning out. Now, unfortunately, very few of them make it. You could have a squad of you know twenty plus players there, and if one of them comes through to the main team, that would be an achievement in a way. So mm-hmm. it's a very harsh reality for a lot of them, but that's that's just part of it. Um, in terms of resources, of course they have the gym, they have everything they need, and I guess comparing that now to to Gaelic sports and even Antrim, who I'm with now in terms of the the hurling capacity. We're definitely getting a lot better over here. We're becoming much more professional, mm-hmm. you know, but you do need money. Money is a thing that allows you to bring yeah. in the right coaches. It allows you to pay for, you know, the hotel stays whenever you go away for a, a match down south um, and allows the lads to be fed before games because the preparation is absolutely key. You know, if, yeah. if, if those aspects aren't covered, the lads aren't going to, aren't going to perform on the on the field to the best of their ability yeah i mean every working with the the younger lads did this may be a stupid question but is it just the same typically is it the same injuries that are coming up between hurlers and the soccer players or did you find there was any differences yes one thing sort of but then i would imagine that they're kind of no, it's a bit like an overused term now but their load is probably managed better within newcastle because that's all they're doing whereas in hurling they could be playing for four or five different teams at the one time. Uh, the 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 things that that would be it. There are many more controllables yeah. within that professional setting because uh, even the younger guys or a profe- like a you know a, a Premiership player, they will have obviously their week very much mapped out and set in stone. They don't have to go and do a full time job yeah. every day. They don't have to go to university. They don't have to go to school. Um, and when you think about it, you know, even for our hurlers at the moment, we have individuals who will be out in the site all day. We have individuals who are sitting in an office all day. Yeah. That is a completely different environment, but it is at the polar opposite of doing very little and not getting movement, opposed yeah. to maybe overdoing it 
and expending too much energy. Um, so that would be uh, that would be a big difference in terms of you have many more challenges with Gaelic sports, um, and yeah. you, you, you you hit the nail on the head there. Trying to manage between universities and clubs all requires a lot of communication and a lot of very good communication. And it doesn't really happen either. Like I think it's it's weird you see it being involved up at Derry. The schools obviously and the county are at this point fairly communicate fairly well, but you still see there's like a reluctance from maybe some schools or or certain teams that they don't want to give too much information and that's very much like no, you're here or you're there. Like there's there's no um there's no togetherness in it. It's like this or that there. And um it makes it hard on the players to even mentally on them, you know, it trains them too, but it's so difficult then to try and manage the load if you're a physio or if you're a coach, you know, to try and yeah. know what the players are even doing. Yeah, I, I would, in my opinion, it has to be in a way one or the other. You can't try and do everything. And you're exactly right. Players, players will just want to play, yeah. you know, and if they're, if they're getting pulled in two or three different directions from different managers, it's it's tough choices they have to make and they want to generally please everyone um which is just human nature yeah um now i have to say thankfully uh this year we have in terms of the herders we have very much had really good communication between the clubs between the universities and everybody seems to be singing from the same hymn sheet so yeah. to speak and as a result we are able to better manage the load for the players so that they are yeah. not doing too many pitch sessions and too much on-field work and not getting their S&C work done or even the recovery, which is just yeah. as important. Yeah. And um, working with the team now over the past couple of years, I think it's good now at this point of the year when you're coming into that kind of pre-season season. What are you seeing is the kind of key, key issues or injuries that are constantly popping up for players? So you definitely get similar uh, injuries every season. Um, the hamstrings are always right up there uh -huh. in terms of uh, in terms of one of those injuries that you tend to see. So with the hamstrings first, if we're sticking in it, what can, what can someone out there do to improve their hamstrings? Like it's not, obviously not just a case of doing RDLs. No. If you're saying, like, what's the perfect way you can go to building your hamstrings nice and strong, what would you say? So, again, there's, there's no such perfect way, as yeah. it were. Everybody is an individual, too, and they will have uh, different needs because a lot of people have, you know, are moving differently, mm -hmm. you know, so you have to cater to what works best for them. But if we're picking up things that, that give yourself the best possible chance because you can't, uh, you can't totally prevent injury yeah. and that's why we all, I'm sure we've talked about this before that everybody talks about injury prevention you can't prevent it you can only yeah. try and reduce yeah. the risk that's the what we would tend to tend to say and we would do that by making the individuals more robust and that's a very I suppose umbrella type term but what we're talking about specifically is a really good strength and conditioning program in place with structure, with load management, with progression, with overload, um, and obviously periodized as needed. And our SNC guy um, up at Antrim is, is, is spot on with that stuff, you know. Um, but if we're talking about specific exercises, then we have to consider the mobility component. So making sure that, you know, you're even, you're doing like the simple, uh, you know, like straight leg raises, um, individual legs just to... What do you mean like a straight leg raise? Like? So like laying, laying down on your back, lifting the right leg up, like a, a sort of gentle uh -huh, kick yeah. upwards, you know, maybe 10 rep, reps of that on, on the right, same on the left. And using that like a kind of warm-up protocol sort of? Warm-up protocol. And then you also have like the, the neural slide. So you have down the back of your leg, you obviously have your sciatic nerve. People uh -huh. talk about their sciatica. So even... Uh, 90 degrees at the hips, 90 degrees at the knee, and just stretching the leg yeah. out and in. Again, that's like a neural slide type movement. So again, that can be part of the, the prep warm-up. Yeah. Um, you also have the hamstring walkouts, mm -hmm. where you're lifted up in a bridge position, walking out yeah. left and right. 
Um, we also have our Nordics. We have our RDLs. Um, I think you have to ensure that you're covering both bilateral type movements. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, like an RDL where you're using both legs yeah. and it's balanced on, on either side. And then you have obviously the unilateral type aspect where you might do a single leg RDL. Um, but I think what I've found over the last few years, things like say a single leg RDL, so many people are doing them incorrectly. Yeah, the issue is more your movement, you can actually move yeah. properly. So it all comes down to quality of movement yeah. when you're doing the exercises. And that's why when we have lads in the gym and I, I help out with the gym sessions too, is we're always talking about quality of movement. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's not a case of coming in and banging through the session. It's coming in, putting on your head, focusing on every exercise, every rep and doing it to the best of your ability yeah. and keeping your movement as clean as possible. Yeah. Um, what about then as well, you know, proximal and distal hamstring training? Is that important or is that, is that something that should be considered as well? Yeah. So obviously what you mean by proximal and distal there is, is obviously proximal is, is towards the upper part usually of the, so if towards your backside, yeah. if we're talking about the towards hamstrings, your towards your arse and distal is towards the knee. Yeah. Now, a lot of the research would suggest that trying to uh, perform movements and exercise on the lengthened position, mm -hmm. i.e. distal type mm -hmm. movements, is probably most beneficial because if you think about it, when most people strain and hamstring, it's typically when they're out stretching. Yeah, it's in a, like a sprint straight. Yeah. Lengthened yeah. Position. And sometimes even when they're slowing down from the, yeah. the sprint as well. But it's usually a lengthened position typically. Um, so that is definitely important. And that's where you get, you know, your single leg bridging type work mm -hmm. at a lengthened position. Yeah. That can work quite well. So laying on your back, foot up on a bench and yeah. opening up the angle at the knee. So you feel it slightly lower down rather yeah. than right or up even the like top. Uh, Isometric holds on the on the bench, yeah. so like lie down, lengthen position, yeah. the heel up, and, and that's important too. Is that you know going through the different types of contraction? Yeah. So you have your isometric, which is the hold position, uh, so holding the movement, yeah, um, without any you know back and forward. Then you have obviously the concentric, which is a shortening of the muscle, which is like a curl type movement, let's say, and then the eccentric is the curl on the way back where you're yeah. lengthening it. But it's super important that you work through all of those different types of contraction because they're going to feature yeah. in, in, a, in a pitch situation. Isn't there kind of debate as well in that lengthened position whenever you hit, hit the ground, whether or not that is an eccentric or an isometric movement? Like there are still debates around them whether or not which of them yeah. is. So it's like you should train probably both of them until anyone can definitiv definitively say yeah. what it is. And, and honestly, I've been you know, obviously involved in physio now for a good few years and everything is swings and roundabouts yeah. and, and strength and conditioning <clears> is the same. Everything goes round in circle. Things come in a fashion, things go out of fashion based on the research that's funny, completed. Funny saying that because we had a lecture this week and it was on, um, it was on load and acute chronic load. Mm -hmm. So like back in 2016, um, I can't mean Tim Gabbett released yep. this research about acute chronic load uh -huh. and like at the time it was the in thing and everyone was chatting about it so uh, simply put it's like the amount of work that you're doing say across that week and if you done more work in one week than you had been exposed to or if you had a really big big jump yeah. in work yeah then that following week or that week you would be uh, more likely to get injured yeah and it's actually very small yeah the amount of extra you need to do yeah for that to open you up to it and um Basically, then people started looking at the research and mm -hmm. like they started looking at the statistics and the statistics were flawed and were kind of doctored <laughs> in a way to make it seem. And then after a couple of years, Tim Gabbett started to kind of retract it and make changes in what they had originally said. And it's now <laughs> went like the complete opposite where it's like nobody knows again. No, well, that and that, and that is it. Like, I think um, I remember as one of our lecturers at university used to say it was kind of like believe nobody, Yeah, <laughs> you know, in terms of. You cannot 
if you're an individual who goes, this is the only way yeah. to do something, you are in for uh, you're in for trouble, really, because things do change, and you have to be open minded enough to change yeah. with it. Um, the one thing I, you know, and this is just my uh, my own personal opinion, I tend to like when it comes to injuries. A wee general format I use in my own head is I do tend to work off starting off with isometric mm-hmm. type movements, you know, just to, you know, maybe modulate, I reduce pain possibly because there's a little bit of research for that as there probably is for the opposite. Um, so I tend to like the isometric stuff to begin with. Once that is becoming, you know, pain free and we can move beyond it, I do like eccentric type work yeah. then. Um, and then naturally I'll just fall into the combination of, 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 of all three. Yeah. But, uh, I do tend to like, uh, isometric work in the initial, maybe acute type phases of an injury and then, uh, working into eccentric type work then. Um, but as I say, you have to be doing all components of the contraction and in different, in different, uh, ranges. Yeah, I think probably another important aspect of, of hamstring training too, and I've seen a quote about it today, like it was about rehab, but your rehab should replicate your training or match play as much as possible. And that, like, yeah, the gym is obviously important, but if you're not out in the pitch training and training those particular movements and training your max velocity sprinting, yeah. you're, you're missing such a large part of it too. That That's it, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably something that's forgotten about. Like, we do so many drills in and training and matches that are maybe in two like real small sided games where you don't get to open up and you may be just doing long runs where you're not moving at a high speed and then when you go out in the game and you have to sprint your body's not used to it and you're more likely to for that to happen for an injury to occur so i would say if we're summing up probably hamstring injury or injury prevention you would sort of say then what number one um building a good strength base so looking at those Straight leg raises, um, what was the other ones you were saying? So any, any kind of, you know, if we're talking hamstrings, the exercises that you generally can't go too far wrong with from, the, I guess, the kind of uh, strengthening capacity type th- side of things are, you know, your uh, Nordic type exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be the Nordic falls. But again, just briefly on that is most people, I, I haven't seen many people can do a proper Nordic yeah, no, hamstring no. exercise. So that's why I would advocate usually the Nordic hold type movement uh-huh. or use a band yeah. to give you know to give you that ability to again quality of movement. Uh-huh. Um, there's a variation called the razor, which I really yeah. enjoy too. I think it gets a real good work through the hammies. Yeah, so it's basically where like you won't let your hips drop as such. Yeah. You'll like let your chest fall over and keep your hips in the yeah, same you're position. Yeah, you're bent at the hips. You're flexed yeah. to 90 at the hips, and that's yeah. the instead of being completely straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's been good research recently on the Roman chair. Mm-hmm. Uh, been actually some that this particular research has suggested it to be more effective right. than Nordics. But again, you take it all with a pinch of salt. Um, they all have their place. Yeah. Um, RDL. Mm-hmm. Really, really useful too. Single leg RDL, um, any type of glute bridge, you know, where again you're doing both uh, bilateral two legs and unilateral single leg, and then you have the mobility type ones, which we talked about with the single leg type raises to yeah. to to kind of more get the nerve sliding back and forth, okay. and then the ninety ninety ones again to get the nerve sliding. And um, in terms of rep sets, are you usually going more like say two to six reps in them movements or would you prefer going a wee bit more or does it depend on the person? It depends, I guess, on what you want to achieve as well. I think yeah. if we nearly always want to try and keep things fairly heavy, mm-hmm. you know, because usually that will uh, give us the greatest stimulus. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you might want to up the reps if you're looking to, you know, create more of a hypertrophic environment and you know we will have individuals who are already quite big bulky uh, may not need to be adding any more Mm -hmm. muscle on but then you have other lads who need more hypertrophic type work Um, so it really does depend on the yeah on the individual okay um 
then after hamstrings, what else would be a common area that you're seeing a lot of? Um, I guess we will more commonly, and we, we mentioned we might talk about this, is hip and groin stuff mm-hmm. does tend to be a feature um, of our season as well. You will definitely get uh, some flare-up of hip and groin type Nobody's injuries. Nobody's got bad hips at the minute. This is it. Um, and it, it certainly won't be the majority of our people that have these types of injury, but it will be common. And a lot of the time, it's not even brand new. It's almost things that they've had for a few years, yeah. a few seasons. And um, without getting obviously too specific, you know, we've had a number of players who have come in with hip and groin type pathologies. And what that pathology means is just hip and groin issues. Uh-huh. Um, and that can be, when we say groin, we kind of mean, you know, in the middle of your where your pubic bone is. Mm-hmm. So just in your nether region area, yes. uh, pain in around there. But then we will also have people uh, with the hip type pain. So it can be pain literally in the hip joint. Uh-huh. Um, but that can then also have pain radiating into the groin or even round to the back as yeah. well. Or in the front which is like your hip flexor uh-huh. type, like your iliopsoas type area. So that's the kind of different uh, sort of pathologies we do tend to get in. Um, but what we have, n- what has been noticed and what has been researched now in Gaelic sports as well over the last few years is we're getting an awful lot of like players in their early 20s coming in with yeah. when we have them MRI'd have a lot of these uh, problems. Mm-hmm. Now, an awful lot of them are asymptomatic, which means they don't have any pain or they don't have any issues, yeah. but they do have these maybe um, what may be called irregularities, deformities. But down the line, they'll potentially start getting pain. But there is potential for that yeah. down the line. You would you would possibly think their risk is slightly increased. Mm-hmm. But again, we do have ones who are symptomatic then as well, um, who have got symptoms associated to those areas where yeah. they have pain and that's that's actually a really important thing is often people go i want to i need a scan i want to scan you know i need to be checked out the scan has to replicate the symptoms so you could mri my back right now mm-hmm. and there could be two or three disc bulges in it mm-hmm. but i don't have any symptoms yeah so it's not necessarily a red herring but it's not something that's given me pain at the moment right so that's a very important thing is that when when we do scan somebody even if we find something on the scan uh-huh. uh, we have to ensure that it relates to the symptoms and pain that they are experiencing if it has no correlation then it may not be anything to do with it so would a lot of people be getting scans and seeing things that aren't actually something and then diagnosing that as an extra problem or what? Yeah, that can happen. Yeah. Um, or they start to overthink it and yeah. start to believe that... I've got three disc bulges in my back. Yeah, and then yeah. And what do people do when that happens? They start protecting. They start moving abnormally. Yeah. And guess what? Sometimes they start then developing back pain. Yeah. So it's just a point on scans and stuff like that is yeah. that you've got to let the experts you know let you explain what is going on with it and uh, that often you can have lots of different things show up on a scan but they actually are nothing to worry about yeah and they're just part of you know how you've how your journey in life has went and you've picked up a couple of knocks uh, on on the way i think what's also probably important to remember and it maybe sounds a bit bad but all the experts aren't always necessarily experts in that. You know, like a, a good example was um, a, a friend had issues with the heart recently and a doctor told them you shouldn't do anything in terms mm-hmm. of exercise. And thinking that would be the good thing, what actually ended up happening was the person ended up not doing any exercise or doing any movement and started to feel worse mentally too because they weren't doing any. Yeah. And in fact, actually probably made them worse and probably cortisol and everything spiked up along with it. Yeah. 
went to a different doctor and another doctor was like, oh, no, no problem to do exercise. So it's probably just that we know that on scans and on things like that, yes, these people are better educated than me, but what I'm saying is not everyone as an expert is is always um, 100% correct and how you interpret what they say is important too, like, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess you have to, like all these things, you have to sit back and think about it and think to yourself, right, that GP perhaps or that consultant, whoever they may have been, is is just given the most protective type advice. Yeah. As in, if the person doesn't do anything, well, there's less chance of them stressing the heart. So there's probably less chance that something is going to go yeah. wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's just totally protecting themselves. But in reality, it probably is better to go, listen, it is unlikely that if you do exercise, something will happen, yeah. but there is always that chance. I would be happy for you to work yourself back into a level of training. Um, and if you do have any issues, yeah. then certainly come back and we can talk about it again. Because you're exactly right. The benefit versus the cost of doing exercise and keeping healthy, keeping yeah. fit, you know, the benefit way, yeah, way out, outweighs it, so to speak. Um, because as we've, and as you talk about yourself a lot, that exercise allows us to keep both mentally and physically happy and healthy. Yeah. And if somebody says, you can't do something, you know, what do you want to do? All you want to do is do that thing. Like, yeah, definitely, like, definitely. So, um, and sorry, I've sort of went off track. I, I, in terms of the groin stuff, I did want to go back um, because I know you have a, a, a lot of, a lot of young uh, guys mm. and girls who who obviously follow you. And I just think back to when I was at school and you when you were at school and our other brother was at school, you know, we played soccer and Gaelic for club, for school. And I remember <laughs> days genuinely going in and doing maybe soccer for PE first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. going then to play a soccer match at school in the afternoon, coming home, I'm playing a Gaelic match <laughs> for the club yeah. at home. And that happened on probably a weekly basis. Yeah. And then on top of that, we, you were probably training four or five days a week, if not more, yeah. probably more actually. And did really we do much gym training and stuff? Did we do much mobility work? We benched. We benched <laughs> and did arms and that was all that mattered. <laughs> that was all that we cared about. Um, but the point being is that we are finding now that a lot of people, especially in that late teen to early 20s bracket, is, is having a lot of hip pathologies and problems. Because mm -hmm. when you think about it, if you are an adolescent, your hips and your groin, so everything is, is de it's developing, it's yeah. forming. And if you are constantly loading and overloading those bones and those areas without having the mobility and musculature to support it, you are causing irreparable damage. Yeah. And as a result, early 20s, boys are, up boys are having hip surgeries, are having replacements, and that's joint replacements and things like that. And it's a bit of a silent killer too, because obviously when you're that age, you never feel it and your no. ability to recover is a lot better so yeah it is hidden until eventually it hits you like so there's probably a lot of people like that are playing away and thinking well i do that but i feel i feel yeah. good uh, totally it's but uh, i will hit at some stage and that that's exactly it's 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 like silent but deadly yeah in terms of it is it is like shortening the careers of so many young mm -hmm. uh, athletes at the moment and this is not just Gaelic sports this is you know this is rugby hockey anybody who's playing that kind of field sport yeah. or sport where there's an awful lot of running and movement and jumping hopping twisting they are all in the same boat mm -hmm. um, and I guess it comes down to well how do we how do we stop it how do we improve it mm -hmm. um, and I think it comes right down to grassroots um, you know, clubs and everything are fantastic with all the volunteers that come out and coach and help. And honestly, those people are just phenomenal because to give up your own time generally yeah. to do all that stuff is just excellent. 
But I think, you know, the GAA, Ulster Council, Croke Park, whoever, they need to be educating at grassroots and they need to be talking to the county boards and spreading out that message of when we have, let's say, an under-14 team and the player has come and said, oh, I had uh, a match at school today and I had PE as well and they've come for training, that the coach is able to say, that's yeah. enough. You don't, you know, it isn't, it isn't advised yeah. for you to train tonight. Recovery is more important. Um, or go and do some stretch and some mobility yeah. work. The difficulty is that young lads will just want to do it anyway. But I think then, it, like, I think you can learn lessons from the rugby setups and that, like, if you're playing rugby for your school, you won't be playing for a club. Yeah. If you're, if you're playing rugby university level, you won't be playing back home for your club. If you're, yeah the best rugby player, you'll be playing for Ulster and you'll just be with them versus in Gaelic, if you're a really good player, you'll be playing for uh, your college team, you'll be playing for your county team, you'll be playing for the under-21 team, you'll be playing for uh, club senior under-21s. You can be drawn because you are the best, whereas in rugby, you just stay here. Like, yeah. So I think licences have to be drawn that way, but it's, I think that's something that'll be very, very difficult to do. In terms of practical things that players can do now, yeah. you know, if they're, whether they're 14 now and they're listening to this or else they're nearly 20, what's, yeah. maybe exercises or things that people can start to yeah. do to minimise or prevent? Yeah, and I think as well, sorry, it was, it's important to point out that, yes, the coaches are important, but, but parents are probably actually, uh, yeah, you know, no sometimes. The, the parents... They, you know, they're, they're, they're your children, like, mm-hmm. um, and for me, it's a safeguarding issue because yeah. it is, it's your job to protect those, those kids until they get to, <coughs> adult, you know, become an adult. Um, so parents and coaches, et cetera, they, you know, and even teachers at school, et cetera, they're the people that have to be asking the, mm-hmm. the questions. But I think a good way to think about it is maybe what should a perfect week look like mm-hmm. if I was an adolescent? in terms of my training. Yeah. So it's probably very similar to what you see, uh, you know, a full-on hurling or football team doing now uh, that are fo- solely focused, let's say, on county. Mm-hmm. You know, you should have, let's say, Monday, you would have a gym session. And when you're 14, 16, of course, that has to be adapted yeah. and modified you know for me when you're that age body weight stuff yeah that that's nearly that that should be the the main component of your your training and we know at this point there is so much you can do with just body weight you know yeah. you're talking about the hamstrings there you know it's at that young age you know i would love to see a case you have a kid who starts doing their nordic uh, hamstring yeah. exercise at 14 by the time they are 16 18 they can do full proper reps yeah like we started the dairy 15s in the past couple of weeks so been like the workouts they've been doing like they're starting off doing the walkouts you yeah. know walkouts into the hold so they're getting much better at that there and yeah. getting better at the movement and then just simple things like the split squats but controlling it learning how to push where to push and then push-ups ring rows and there's a lot of movements you can do but as you say, developing those movements now at this age, yeah, you know, not thinking about, uh, you know, if you're 14 or 15, you don't have to think in a year's time, I have to be at a certain level. It's, you think you're trying to develop and yeah. if you're a coach, it's developing them to be 20 or 24 and not be messed up like. Yeah. And, and like, I can think of, there is no body part that you cannot, uh, train uh, in terms of body weight yeah. or with a couple of bands. Yeah. which again is a, a really nice type of resistance. So just to continue with the, the, the week, so let's say Monday, the gym type session, Tuesday would be your training with mm-hmm. either your club or whoever it is you play with. Um, your Wednesday could be another type of gym session. Thursday could be a really nice, just kind of active recovery mm-hmm. deload type day. Uh, Friday could be your training type session, again with your club, and then you'll have one day to gain sort of active recover at the weekend and one day to play something. Yeah. Now, that is me talking about... Perfect scenario. <coughs> perfect scenario. Life is not perfect. But I think you have to aspire to something and you have to have 
a guide. You might have, you know, PE at school thrown in with that. Mm-hmm. You might have to play the odd extra game every few weeks. But if that is once in a blue moon rather than every single week for years yeah. and years and years, you definitely decrease the chance. I suppose the takeaway is just when you're planning your week and you're planning your training, take a look at it on the piece of paper yeah. and ask yourself, does this look ridiculous? And if yeah. it does, then you maybe have yeah. to rethink things. And genuinely, most people even, and, and I've had to talk with uh, some of our boys before, they just actually aren't aware of how much they're doing. Yeah, when you write it down. You well, whenever it. you go and say, so what have you done this week? They go A, B, C, D. And this is not so much this year, probably in previous years. <coughs> and they write down go, geez, actually, that's, that was yeah. quite a bit. No wonder I'm actually feeling a bit tight and sore this yeah, week. Yeah, you forget. Like- you know, but it gives perspective. If you can see what you've done or you, as you say, know what is coming, you plan and prep yeah. both mentally and physically for it. Um, so no, that, that, that to me is a, is a big thing that needs to be worked upon because, you know, there is a lot of great athletes out there. And as you say, when you are a great athlete, what happens? You get all the extra training. You're told to come to more More teams, more pressure. And, uh, there has to be that ability to say, no, that is too much. I am doing this, this, and this, and that will cover my load for Mm -hmm for whatever so you know and, and without doubt there are loads of people that get away with it and don't have any great issues but um yeah. I, I think those people it's are far a few simple, between you know it's a very simple thing to do you know in terms of just uh, basically what we're saying is just re- take a look at the work that you're currently doing and seeing if there's any time where you could maybe shave a wee bit of work off or maybe change things up in terms of maybe instead of doing you know running for the sake of running maybe do a wee bit of gym work where you're strengthening those areas and it's not like it's you're changing everything about your training or your current week it's just make wee small changes that eventually leading to big changes yeah. down the line and sorry you've just had a point there too that i meant to say the one thing <laughs> as well which it still blows my mind is none of us have ever been taught how to run properly yeah that is the one thing like and and you've done it as well we've went to like you know speed workshops and stuff like that Aye. and they teach you how to run properly and you're like holy shit i am <laughs> i am uh, a disaster <laughs> when it comes to this it's crazy whenever you go to like sprinting workshops and like i've i've been to a few now within the past year and um whenever you start to look at sprint mechanics a bit more mm-hmm. You go down a rabbit, like you, you, you have an idea, you're like, all right, well, it should be this position, that position. When you go down a rabbit hole, you're like, I actually have no fucking idea what's going on here. No, not at all. And if, you know, and that's the thing, if at school, etc., it was implemented and taught people how to run properly for like your rugby and your Gaelic, etc., we would again, more than likely, again, you don't have the research, but you would more than likely reduce the chances of yeah. of, of those type of, you know, compensatory type uh, yeah, like injuries. That's, I can't remember what workshop it was, but they were saying that um, <laughs> mechanics, you could run mechanics will play a lot. Like, because I always think back to certain people that I know growing up that always had hamstring problems and always done strength work and went to physios. And you're like, why the fuck are they always getting hamstring <laughs> problems? And then maybe think, whenever the, the person said about, the way you run and maybe you overstride or maybe your hips are too tight and that's leading to stretching. Uh-huh. I think fuck maybe that's maybe that's the reason why because everything else is kinda checked off. And yeah. the thing about that is it's very difficult unless you get a professional to try and fix that. But I think that's something over yeah. the next while that you kinda hope improves and that people learn that. I now. think I think even the awareness of load at adolescence is increasing. Um, I think people are getting more aware yeah. of it. And because of the gym stuff now and the S&C uh, becoming more popularized through social media, more people are realizing that component yeah. is as important as the on-pitch stuff. Because that would have been the previous thing. Sure, why would you go to the gym? What are muscles going to do for you? Yeah. Uh, you know, can, I, can muscles put a 45 over? You can't kick a, can't <laughs> kick a weight over the bar. Can't kick a weight over the bar, enough said. Um, but I was going to say there, see when it comes to i always think about and this is a bit a bit mad i always think about if i had a child how do i make them the ultimate beast Mm -hmm. in terms of how do i give them the very best chance to 
be as injury free and successful as possible when it comes to let's say sport mm-hmm. and i always think when they're young i'll probably get them into gymnastics yeah for the mobility strength component mm-hmm. i would probably get them to do athletics for a little while yeah, just to run. teach them how to run properly uh, and how to do real good warm-ups and be diligent with uh yeah. workouts and then obviously you would get them <laughs> doing a wee bit of their uh whatever it might be Gaelic rugby, maybe a bit of boxing too, just to tighten them. Give somebody a tan if they need that. Well, this is it to to protect themselves. Yeah. But what I'm saying there is that, you know, all of us when we just started, it's just you're up and you're in the Gaelic and you're in the soccer and that's it. But we have to remember there are lots of great coaches and great sports out there that you can actually yeah. take some real good stuff from that can make you better in your own sport you know definitely um back to the hips and groins in terms of s- stuff we can do in the gym practical things is yeah. it a lot of glute med work or like a thing i get asked every week is like a hip stretch a hip stretch is it always a case of stretching the hip flexors you know what's your recommendation for yeah. training basically then? uh most of the time there's obviously going to be a combination of you know uh mobility will be a problem mm-hmm. in round hips, lower back. So, uh, you know, that that can be like, yes, your stretches and things like that. But what we tend to find is there's always weakness. So when most of us do gym workouts, all the movements are in the kind of, you know, the planes where you're working your quads and hammies. How often do you do lateral work? How often do you work the insides of the legs and outsides of the legs? So things like... um, you know, your your Copenhagen's are a really good exercise to strengthen up the adductors. You can do a short lever version, you can do long lever versions. Um, again, it's all body weight and they are tough. You know, yep. they will, you will take a while to get good at those. Yep. Um, a lot of now the, the work that I would see has been most beneficial is I think we mentioned this right there's a, a guy down in Dublin and the King who's a physio and there's a the big Santry Sports Clinic down yeah. there um, awesome facility like and a lot of their work is all about creating better control around hip groin yeah. and, and, and lumbar spine because usually it is in around that area that people are just not moving mm-hmm. correctly they're either too tilted forward yeah, or tilted, back, uh, or tilted back or there's massive weaknesses between right and left they are losing control of movements mm-hmm. so even simple things like uh holding a like a dowel which is like a broom handle above your head and just doing gentle marching on the spot without it falling over and falling back mm-hmm. those are very easy ways just to see am i good at controlling yeah. my body because a lot of people when it comes to this kind of you know core area or trunk area have a real poor perception of where it is in time and space which is percep or proprioception yeah. you know um so a lot of groin squeeze type work is important a lot of especially if it's ga sports if you can be standing up as well so you're loading yeah. the area um the exercise squeezes sorry you could do with like foam roller between the knees yeah and that would be your something like that yeah and that's like your isometric type one so say if somebody has a slight groin irritation you could start off with some of those isometric type Uh ones whenever they are getting better at that you could start to do short lever copenhagen's yeah um and then you could even progress to the long lever ones if uh if you wanted you can also then do things like you would have the isometric squeeze but turn it into a bridge then as well. Yeah. So squeeze while, while doing the bridge type work. You can change it then into single leg as well. Um, mm-hmm. You can still keep that squeeze while having a single leg, but making sure that you're not over-rotating yeah. or anything. What about like uh, hip abductions, movements like that? You know, are they useful or are they just kind of common now because it's with all the kind of... No, I th- like weirdly, uh, they, they definitely have their time and place i think what people will generally find though is they are not able to uh, abduct which is obviously away from the body Uh um 
to actually the full degree. You'll yeah. find when somebody abducts, there'll still be probably 10 or 15 degrees extra that you could passively, mm-hmm. i.e. somebody could move them through. So you have to think of maybe slightly different exercises to, 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 to work that. So that can even, it can be, it's probably too difficult to explain uh, on this medium, but there are lots of videos that will show more like uh, hip flexion and a little bit of adduction or abduction to to hold those higher positions right. at the higher range. But they definitely those abduction type movements have their place. Yeah. Um. Again, if done correctly, the yeah. the, the big thing is quality of movement. And if you are fatiguing and you're still pushing out reps, you're probably just creating yeah, negative patterns. Those, yeah. The sessions we've been doing with Fulham Vale, so maybe kind of give you an idea because it kind of follows a similar path. Whenever we're doing our warm-up work, we're doing, obviously, just do your general stuff, get the heart rate up, and then we go into those walkouts. We'll do sets uh-huh. of the walkouts, and then we'll do um, the holds in the lengthen position. So yeah. we'll do double leg, and we'll do single leg ones for sets of 20 seconds. Then we'll get into some pogos, so we'll work for yeah. the foots, foot and the calves. Um and then usually within our workout, we'll integrate into it. Um, we'll be doing RDLs for hamstring strength, but we'll also throw in the Copenhagen's into the movements, so like 20-second holds of Copenhagen's at long mm-hmm. levers. We also were doing the dip at the hip, so like you're in that Copenhagen, but you're letting the hips drop and raising up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got moving into them. Yeah. And then um, we were doing, we were usually like throwing into either maybe after your main set of like, say, your strength work, we were doing like hip abductions, you know, maybe 10, 15 reps of yeah. that there. So that maybe gives a few examples. And also we were throwing in like mobility, so maybe doing like a hip stretch or some sort of yeah, hip and all your and the, Yeah, and your 1990 stuff and all those, yeah. like those wee hip routines you've stuck up are, are really, really uh, useful. Yeah. You know, and so they're, I, they're definitely I, beneficial. I think that maybe gives gives anyone listening an idea of like how you can throw them things that Mark's chatting about into a session and then not be like, you go, how the fuck did I get that in? Like, so he's saying it. It is actually a lot easier than you think to throw them things into a session. Yeah. Or else even, you know, in your rest periods, whether it be on the pitch or whether it be um, in the gym, instead of sitting about for three or four minutes doing nothing, do a set of Copenhagen's, do a set of stretching. Yeah. You know, it, it, won't, it, won't, it won't take anything out of you, but it's a useful way to use your, your um, recovery periods, isn't it? Uh, big time yeah uh, and as, especially if you're only doing the isometric versions where you're just holding it mm-hmm. you know they, they usually will not give you those high levels of fatigue but i think for me it's a case of you know your pro- programming should all have those things yeah. in it you know it nearly it should be already there that you're not even having to do these extra bits in between because it is very much an important structured part yeah. of a of, of a program you know, it's it's especially when you think about it, if, if we are training our quads and our hammies so uh, to such a high degree and, and shifting big squat weights, but we cannot hold our own body weight mm-hmm. in a side position in, such as a Copenhagen, and we are expecting to run full speed, quickly change direction from left to right and expect those muscles to perform every time without fatiguing or becoming injured we're you know we're kidding ourselves yeah um where any other injuries i suppose we could chat about the knees we're nearly at an hour here so i suppose they they, as i say uh, the the hammies uh, the hammies definitely were common as we've mentioned hip and groin uh, will certainly follow us about ankles is a big one too yeah um that that is obviously you need to let the ankle settle down in terms of the inflammation check that there's no uh serious ligament damage Uh um a lot of it is proprioception movement. A, a lot of people we find just leave an ankle. <laughs> I don't so do anything. They just leave the ankle and be like, the pain's gone at this point, so I must be ready what to go back. What would you say for like proprioception? So you mean like hops and, and things like that? Proprioception, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, multi-directional hops. Um, yeah. you, there's a very easy assessment tool you can use for an ankle too if you went over and once called a knee-to-wall drill. Uh-huh. So you basically put your foot completely flat, touch the wall with the front of your knee, so kind of 
as close as you can get to the wall with the knee touching uh-huh. and the heel flat and you compare left to right and that will usually indicate if there's still a, a big restriction in the injured side um, but you can also use that as a an exercise to help increase that range um, calf raises are so important again very underrated uh, too oh, calf raises and bent knee calf raises because yeah. that uh, works obviously your soleus muscle mm-hmm. which has a very important role in ankle stability yeah. so again if you do not have heavy uh heavy within reason obviously heavy within reason uh calf raises both standing bent knee and a ver and a variation of bilateral and unilateral you're 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 really not helping your chances of uh, stopping yeah. ankle yeah uh, ankle injuries yeah so a combination of that strength and working in um and hops, mobility yeah. hops jumps Pro- yeah. mobility strengthening and uh, proprioception that's kind of the same i suppose for most areas that's it, of that's it. areas isn't it like if you can as you say if you can create uh the right level of mobility and range it's kind of like you know mobility unlocks strength's potential mm-hmm. doesn't it yeah. you know if you can open yourself up and create uh, a good range of movement throughout the body you are really unleashing your potential to get yeah. super strong there's lots of guys who can still lift heavy um but their movement is shocking mm-hmm. and that's the thing that's holding them back yeah um, I was just it, going to say, sorry, I was going to say the other thing we do tend to see too, now again, is, is with hurting the shoulder injuries. What's preventing that? Uh, again, just lots of cuff work, rotator oh, yeah. cuff work. I personally really like, I like bands mm-hmm. for it. So it can be pull-throughs, single leg, two arms, uh, internal, external rotation type stuff yeah. as well. Uh, Cuban press, love the Cuban press. All good be moving for that. warm-ups as well, like easy to do with bands. Easy to do with bands, yeah. yeah. And and then just the standard, obviously, ones too, laying yeah. on your side. Uh, again, um, really important. ACLs. I kind of wonder with time now, is ACL something that is pr- that you can prevent as much as people think, or is it just one of these things that happen? You know, how preventative do you think ACLs are? <laughs> uh, that's quite the, quite the question. Um, how preventative... So I think uh, they're definitely not preventative. Yeah. They will still always happen because you look at, uh, you know, the way I often think about it is you look at a player in the NFL yeah. who is probably conditioned to the highest degree and... Uh, and this is the 1% st- like... Still happens like... Yeah. Um, but without doubt, if you are poorly conditioned, you're not strengthening, yeah. you are, you know, you're, you haven't got a good connection between your whole system from top to bottom, you're going to increase your risk, you would imagine. Yeah. Um, so I think, as we've said there, uh, you know, a lot of the <clears throat> conditioning we've talked about already for the lower limb, uh-huh. if you're doing that and doing it consistently, that's going to give you the best chance. But when you actually think about ACLs, most ACL injuries are non-contact. Yeah. Which is quite funny because everybody thinks you've been in a collision yeah, when it happens. Turning. It's usually turning, planting, extended, yeah. the rotation, and you know, good night, Irene. Yeah. Um, and I guess, how can you specifically practice that? It's probably on the field, isn't it? Yeah, practicing more turns. So you need to you mechanics. Know, the gym will, of course, help the general mm-hmm. strengthening and build some capacity, but it's on the field maybe doing those drills at lower intensities lower speeds and building it up that that will give you the best chance but you know there's there's always as well i think an element of certain people will be you know more susceptible to it and can we be sure who they are not really but you know we have a brother who's done both his Mm -hmm. (laughs) so um impressive you know Although there's probably a, you know, he wasn't a fan of leg day. Mm. So that was, (laughs) (laughs) so, 
you know that was probably a big reason yeah um you know chicken legs as it <laughs> as it would have been it's great that he can't defend himself here either <laughs> uh, a decent bench and uh good at pull-ups but uh the old legs suffered here lies here um lesser known fact about you you played under jim mcginnis the goat manager the the, the, the goat talk the, about the that, sheriff yeah. of nottingham <laughs> talk to us about that uh no whenever i was at lamavari at college i was very fortunate um to have jim as as my coach he was there as well with a, another guy david who was from letter uh, he's from letter kenny himself but um, I'd obviously heard about Jim because he had done his tours at the universities mm-hmm. for a number of years and uh, was well aware of his, his, his work with, you know, his work playing for Donegal at that time. So he came in, he was actually teaching us our psychology module, which was great because, you know, he was all about the mental, yeah. the mental side of it. Um, but it was a great time because it was one of those times that I was probably, what, 19 1920 maybe and um it was probably the fittest i'd ever been because yeah. you know you were living at home you were training you were covering all aspects all downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> went downhill from there but um we were very fortunate we were at limavari college and it didn't even really have a gaelic team <laughs> before yeah. they arrived and he happened to arrive the year i was there and a load of boys came up from donegal as well to study there mm-hmm. um and there was a good boy a lot of boys from the the dairy direction and we ended up actually having like a really decent team yeah. um but he without doubt and they all, all the management gelled it together like he made us the way i think about it, like we were we used to go out lunchtime and go running and stuff <laughs> you know we had a 45 minute lunch we'd go out and run for half an hour and round lamavari like absolute madmen yeah and come back in again but we ended up winning, now it wasn't at a high level, but we won two uh, college All-Irelands two years in a row yeah. with them. And as I say, the place didn't even really have a Gaelic team before yeah. that. And then they went on actually and won a few more years. But I remember, as I say, at that point thinking to myself, this man is different gravy. You yeah. know, he was just a, you could just tell he was a different type of manager and he was you just thought he was going to do well, like, yeah. and obviously a few years later he was the Donegal manager. But the one thing I always remember, and I take it, it was simplicity. You know, I used to play full forward, and it was me. Um, me and another lad we used to always play a two-man full forward, and uh, believe it or not, obviously I was I used to be uh, quite quick at that point, and uh, I, we literally had two or three instructions, and that was our our job for the whole game. You know, my job was just continue to make runs diagonally, left and right, yeah. and, you know, win the ball, pop it off or, or shoot. And, you know, everybody in the team had their three instructions or four yeah, instructions. It was so simple. It was so simple. Like, it wasn't overcomplicated in any way, and it just worked. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed it. It was great, great old crack. And uh, it was one of those things that although a lot of people would look at it and think, ah, what you know that was a that was a shit probably level or a, you know not a very high up competition but for me it represented a time in my life where i worked extremely hard for something mm-hmm. and happened to get the rewards for it you know and to me that's still those medals are still probably the two that mean the most to me just because of the amount of work i put in yeah. at that time um, so yeah, no, it was great. Uh, as I say, I've not I've not seen Jim for for years, like, but um, who knows? One day we might cross paths again. We'll get him on the podcast, huh? We'll get him on the podcast. <laughs> Jim for president. Yes. Um, <laughs> what about your own training at the minute? You used to be quite strong. Are you doing anything at the minute? I always obviously keep keep things ticking over. Mm-hmm. Um, work has to come first excuses <laughs> um but i would say i'm still getting probably three four gym sessions in a week and two three runs what's the goal um, are you trying to get stronger are you planning on playing this year what's, what's well the... if uh depending on how the season goes with the hurlers uh, i might try and play a little bit of football up in belfast with uh, some bridgets um but uh, at this point i haven't featured at any trainings 
Uh, Good start. So going to be a, a fair weather athlete. The boots will come out in June. You're going to be one of them boys that <laughs> walks into the team. The boys like, like, why the fuck is he just coming now? Like, I know, uh, and they'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> they would be right. So ideally, would like to play a wee bit, but I'm very much, uh, I'm very much uh, realistic with my time. But uh, as I say, at the moment, I'm just <coughs> training to keep myself strong, keep myself fit. Um, and yeah, probably would have been strong enough in the past. Uh, I used to be just more left and heavy, heavy, heavy. So what sort of PBs are you talking? You give some people some information um, so you can validate yourself. Uh, well, until uh, in terms of squat, I probably and that was only a cup, maybe cup just before Christmas there, two hundred for a couple of back squat, two hundred for a couple of reps. So that was pretty strong. Happy with that. that. Um, good depth. It was all good. Questionable. <laughs> and uh, then in terms of deadlift, the most I've ever deadlifted is 240 a few times. I've tried tried to get pushed back to the old 250, but every time on the way back to it, I just end up picking up a wee niggle and just mm. think, what's the point? But maybe, maybe again. Quite funnily, Mark can't bench press. Well, I was going to say my best, my best bench is a good few years ago was maybe 120. Did 52 kg dumbbells though, which I was happy about uh, many years ago. But as you say, I no longer can bench to a very high standard because our other brother who I slagged uh, already um, broke my arm. <laughs> How did they break your arm? Describe um, the situation. Well, we, we were, it was whenever I lived in Newcastle and he came over for a weekend to visit. Um, and we were obviously going to have a uh, an enjoyable weekend of socializing around the <coughs> bars and whatnot. Um, and the team over there is called Coo Hollands in Newcastle. If you're ever over there, you know, go and go and play for them. They're a good bunch of lads. And we were having an, uh, a, like a, a charity night in the uh, Irish Centre over there. And uh, we obviously ended up arm wrestling in front of everybody naturally at uh, towards the middle end of the night uh, a few beverages had been consumed at that point so uh, there was a lot of a lot of positivity about and uh, he then cheated obviously with his arm wrestling and threw his body into it and uh, snapped my humorous which ironically wasn't funny <laughs> <laughs> um so I ended up with a spiral fracture in my right humerus, which is basically where the bone just rotates and snaps. And it was a big, just diagonal break. And uh, I had to obviously go to hospital and the very next morning had to get plates and pins put on my right arm. So I have a big long plate right up my right humerus. And uh, it's got about think, six or seven uh, pins and plates on it too. There is a video of it. I must try and get the video and put it up for people to watch. Ah, it's, it's great. It's, ah, great it's not nice. It's it just it's just all of a sudden it seems to be all going well and then just snap. But it's like anything. It's a shock. You know. You don't. Weirdly, you don't sort of. You know. I couldn't tell you that it was painful when it happened, but about an hour later, it was. It you was felt it. get get the morphine on board. Like so, so it's um, a, a good place to end. Got Michael yeah. to get a bit of a. Get back at you a wee bit for you <laughs> taking a hand out in there. That's good. Right. Thanks for coming to the podcast. If people want to ask any questions, find out stuff about you, where can they get you? Uh, probably the easiest is just on Instagram, uh, the strong physio. Okay. Good job. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. <laughs>